0: You're listening to Better Fishing with two bald biologists sponsored by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. I'm Corey Oakley, the Assistant Chief of Fisheries Management for the Inland Fisheries Division.
1: And I'm Ben Ricks, Coastal Region Fisheries Supervisor.
0: We are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers. We want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing. Our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources.
1: All right, guys. We are back. Today, we're going to be talking about kayak fishing with Mark Patterson. But before we do that, I know you guys know that I have a love affair with the banana moon pine.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I just want to tell you all this story real quick. I ain't even told Corey this. I'm already off the reservation right out of the gate. Right out of
0: the gate. I love it. By the way, hello, everybody.
1: Yeah. Appreciate y'all coming. <laughs> appreciate all your emails. I have some great news to share with you towards the end of this podcast. We may have some swag coming. So
0: We've been talking about it long enough, but finally, it's getting there.
1: Finally, happened. the state moves slow, but it does move. It does move. So it's working out great. Banana moon pies. We had a theory, right? hmm And it was bad luck. That was catfish episode. Catfish episode. I had a banana moon pie on the boat. Missed mm-hmm. like seven catfish in a row. Yeah. I witnessed it. Took some friends fishing. About two months ago, maybe not even that long ago. Mm-hmm. He said, I got something in the truck
0: for you. Banana moon
1: pies. We had a great time. We did not catch a lot of fish. When he brought me what he had in the truck for me, it was a whole box of banana moon pies. Well, now, was this before you went fishing or after? He had them with him. That's all
0: I'm saying. He had them with him the whole time.
1: Yeah. And I got on the phone and called everybody I knew to see how their days went. and for Let's just say 40 miles in either direction that day, no one caught a fish.
0: So So not only is the banana moon pie bad for your boat, it's bad for all boats on the water. It cursed the whole region. It cursed the whole region. The whole region was wiped out completely from fishing because of banana poop. It is a far-reaching curse.
1: So to not avoid any kind of slander... I would like to say that they are delicious. And we've eaten. And I eat of them. plenty of them. <laughs> it's just not my choice for a boat snack. <laughs> so that's where all I'm going.
0: But way to start us off. I appreciate All kidding
1: that. aside, really excited about today, really excited about this podcast. This is our last one for the year. It is. Wrapping up a good year. And today we're going to talk about kayak fishing. Mark, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? First of all, thank
2: you guys for having me here today. My name is Mark Patterson. I'm the president and founder of the North Carolina Kayak Fishing Association, NCKFA, to most people. And uh, I've been kayak fishing probably for 20 years. I started when I was a much younger man, and the kayak seemed to weigh a lot less. (laughs) And it's just a great sport. It's a great activity. I'm just honored to be part of the program today.
1: It's amazing how much the sport of kayak fishing has grown in, say, the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, no one even has a canoe
0: anymore. Poor old canoe has gotten forgotten. Canoes like the Model T. I mean, (laughs) it really is. It's really like the Model 1. It's the Gen 1. Very Gen 1. It's iPhone 1, you know. That's what it is at this point. I mean, there are some diehard
1: canoers still out there. but Yes, there are. For the most part, I think kayak has kind of, if you're going to have a small boat kayak seems to be the choice that a lot of people make and for a lot of good reasons so when we're talking about kayaking mark just lay it out for us what's the draw to kayak fishing
2: well i can only speak for myself and the people that i know well in the community the simple fact for me the beauty of kayak fishing is was and will always be for me is number one you're the captain of your own vessel they are kayaks. We call them divorce boats. When two people get in the boats, normally you and your wife, <laughs> soon to be ex-wife. But uh, normally you're, you're going the your wrong way. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying don't
1: buy tandem with your most beloved family member. If you want to spend quality time with a loved one, buy two kayaks. Do is buy what I mean. two kayaks.
2: Absolutely. I Absolutely. get that. I do get that. So you are the captain of your own ship, and so you're out there on your own, but in a still with a group of people. It's So much more mobile than a boat. You can do so much more. Obviously, we can't run 60, 70 miles an hour. We can't cover 70 or 80 miles or more in a day. But what we can do is have one vessel, one kayak, that can fish the river, fish the lake, fish the little pond, fish the intercoastal, and fish the ocean. And that's all in one vessel. And that is so what makes it so unique. It can be handled. They make some wonderful kayak carts. They make devices that you can put in the back of a truck. T-bones, one example, that then makes your truck your kayak carrier for everything. And it's just an all-around one-stop shop
0: for fishing. I don't know how you beat that. I think I've never kayak fish. Well, that's not true. I have kayak fished in a river. That's yeah. Did a show about that once. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Fire! Fire! <laughs> I haven't done it very often, obviously. but particularly I boat fish or fish from the bank, whatever. One of the things I think I find appealing about it is one, you can get in places that boats can't. Absolutely. It's really like you can get in some really narrow places where fish might go. And also I think I think that experience of catching that fish so close to the water, like you're right beside that animal when it comes up, and it's like, you just see it from a different perspective, I think, than what you see from a boat. At least that's my take on it. Is One of the appealing things to me about it is, if you catch a large catfish or something like that that you see these guys catching in kayaks, like... You gotta figure out how you're gonna handle that thing. When you get <laughs> absolutely. Bes- I'm beside you, you know. Whereas a boat, you're not quite as close to the animal and it's a little different perspective. So I think that's one of the appealing things to me is is being so close to the water when you're catching a fish and catching a big fish and it pulling you all over the place.
2: We call it a sleigh ride. Oh. There you go. It'll take you on a sleigh ride. And the beauty, as you said, you're absolutely correct. We can get into areas, smaller creeks. We may not be able to go as far as you can go in a boat, but we don't have to a lot of the times because we can access through public access or a homeowner that allows access an area that a boat ride would take 30, 40 minutes because there's no ramp. We don't need a ramp. If we have access in a truck and we can roll the kayak or better yet, have a friend, which I always recommend going with someone that... You can also access that water. You can be in and off of the water by the time the boats show up in the morning, which is what we actually prefer to do. And the closeness to the environment, quiet. I've seen bears on the New River, tons of deer. I see otters all the time at Mountain State Park. There's a lot of things that I think boaters miss. And I understand the advantage of boater. But there's a lot of things that boaters miss just due to the sound of the boat coming into an area or a cove. And I'm sure there are aspects of boater life that don't like kayak life. And we always, as kayaks, are
0: like, oh, we were catching a lot of fish, and then this boat pulled in. Boaters say that, too. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> that's, a common, that's a common theme. Okay. Trust me. <laughs> I was slaying fish until they showed up. Exactly.
1: For me, and it's, y'all are all touching on it, and I think it's the same. It's like if you drive a tractor into the middle of your woods, <laughs> Exactly. you won't see a deer. You won't see a squirrel. You won't see anything, and <laughs> you have to sit there for a minute, and things have to settle back down, and then you'll start to see things. I tell people with their boat operation— It's the same thing. Like you have to sneak in there. If you go in full tilt on plane, it's not going to work out, you know. And then you're like, "Man, I guess they're not here today." It's like, "Well, they're still here. They're just you've scared them." Right? With the imprint that a kayak has on the environment is so small, and you come in so quiet that a lot of times that waiting to for things to settle down period is small or none. And the other thing is, you just because of that. You see so many other things. You know, one, you're shallower. Well, you don't have to be, but you have the potential to be shallower. And what I've found, when the thing that's been amazing to me, is these fish don't move. They're right there. If your boat slid up to them, it would scare them. But when the kayak slides up, it doesn't scare them to the same level, at least.
2: Absolutely not. And now what we do in a lot of the kayaks, we have a decking material, whether it be sea deck or another material that dampens the sound. as The worst fish I always say we can have in a kayak if you're trying to catch a lot of other fish is a flounder, because that thing just flops around and sends vibrations all over the place in the bottom of the kayak. But if you have a a mat or something like that down that controls the vibration, you really are pretty silent in there. And we have, I'm not trying to be, you know, oh, we're better than boats, but we have such a small footprint of, we don't have any gas, we don't have anything. That could be potentially harmful if something goes wrong. Everything when we leave, except our moon pie wrappers, which we obviously put back in our dry bag, that all comes with us.
1: Chocolate moon pies, way to go. Just saying.
2: Or strawberry. Strawberry. Vanilla. <laughs>
1: Vanilla. Any of those are <laughs> excellent choices.
2: And the <laughs> other thing about a kayak is you said your friend had a whole box of them. We don't have enough room for that, so we have
0: one, and that's it. So it's not too bad. Oh, right. So Wait. the karma level. <laughs> Never, mind. <laughs> well, Never mind. I don't want to be in a kayak. If we can only have one. <laughs> right.
1: So you're absolutely right. I think it's a neat. You know, I have a kayak. I don't use it near as much as I used to. You know, when I was living in Elizabeth City, I kept that thing in the back of the truck, and every afternoon I'd go somewhere different and slide in somewhere. Just. Some neat fisheries neat things that i did neat things that i saw in it and so that's kind of what started it for me as far as liking it talk to us a little bit about you know we're the wildlife commission and we're the fish biologist and we talk about the fish by the way fish need water we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way
0: get out of the way knock it out kayaking normally does oh, better before in water. you ask that question uh public service announcement we touched on it if you see folks fishing. Don't run your boat right through them where they're fishing at, whether it be a kayak angler or a boater, because you're probably ruining their fishing for a little while. I have seen that happen with speckled trout, red drum, bass, bass, hybrid stripers, striped bass. I have been on a school of fish and been whacking them in a boat drive right through the school, and that was the end of it. I mean, like, just totally crushed the bite. So, just... Be kind. Be kind to your anglers that are around you. Wonderful advice.
1: Oh, yeah. We can do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> we can do that. a whole podcast right on
0: that. But I, we've said this before on the podcast, so it's not like you haven't heard that before. But in general, if you want to catch fish, you watch that boat wake.
1: Yeah. And if the less boat wake you can have near yeah. where you think the fish are, the better off you'll be. Yeah. Is that enough of a side? Uh, that public was, service uh, I'm announcement. I am sorry. I am
0: sorry. It was just it was a burden on my heart. Now it's off. We're good. Something's happened to Corey recently on the
1: water, and he has <laughs> feelings. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Kayak fishing. Kayak fishing. Kayak. Fish. Okay. All, All right. right. Yeah, asking yeah, that question's good. Let's go that direction for okay. a minute. You know, again, the bald biologists. We're freshwater fish biologists. So talk to us a little bit. Oh yeah. By the way, Mark. We're three today. Mark has an equal amount of hair to me. Corey's getting a little shaggy on the side. Corey could
0: use the razor. I I, I need to buzz it. (laughs) It's winter. Openly admit it. It's winter. I'm trying to keep myself warm here. (laughs) Talk about
1: the... I don't... I mean, you talk about all of them, but give us your top three to five. Like, if you were going to fish somewhere around here, what would you be looking for?
2: Okay, I'm going to say I'm a little non-traditional on this. I enjoy largemouth bass fishing just as much as the next... Well, probably not as much as the next guy. I've always been one of those guys who like to fish for a lot of different species some guys are bass specialists some guys are speckled trout specialists i enjoy going through the seasons basically for me my most favorite fish to catch freshwater for me it's just flathead catfish i love to go flathead catfishing I love to catch them in a kayak. You can do so much in a kayak to catch flathead catfish that it's very difficult to pull off in a boat because, as I'm sure you guys know and most of our listeners know, those flathead catfish love log jams. And I'm fortunate enough to live close to the Yatkin River chain. Lots of log jams on the (laughs) Yatkin A lot of log jams. And again, I recommend there's some great videos. Most important thing is to be safe in the water, especially when you're a kayak. So watch some videos on how the other guys do it. And we're able to, in those situations, to take our live bait and actually get right up the log jam. And then you can use a pair of clippers. We call them clippers, but they're just, they're plastic, squeezy things that look like vice grips that you clip off to the log and you clip off to your kayak and they're easy to break away when you hook the fish. And you can drop that bait straight down in 8, 10, 12 feet of water right on that log jam, and you sit there for 3 or 4 or 5 minutes. If that flathead is not eating that bait, you just move to the next log jam and move to the next log jam. And I don't see how people in a boat can do that because you can't get that close and not slam into the log jam and make a lot of noise and frighten the fish. So number one for me would be flathead. Number two that I enjoy are shellcracker. I love catching oh, shell. Amen, brother. That's right. I love shell I love cracker. Love Talking lo- my jam now. <laughs> all right. on you know, four six pound line with a slip float and a nightcrawler or a fly rod and a cricket. And you can just ease right up in them in February and March into April and just hammer them. We go to Tuckertown a lot. There's a couple of coastal areas that we go to that have 12, 13 inch shell cracker and you just have a blast. So shellcracker would be number two. Three would be, I love smallmouth bass because again, with the kayak, you can do so many different things. I have a trip tomorrow. I'm taking my friend Barbara up to the New River and we're going to float down probably three or four miles for smallmouth and hopefully catch a muskie too, but probably not. But mainly the smallmouth.
1: That's my experience with
2: musky fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> probably
1: not. The probably not is nearly the sure thing.
2: I've told my wife, it's, I said, you know, that's they call it the fish of 10,000 casts, and she's like, well, you ought to have about six of them already. <laughs> like, well, I don't. I've seen them follow my lure, and that's about it. But uh, I love smallmouth, and I love the kayak on the river because, again, you're floating down the river, it's quiet, it's peaceful. You see uh, bear, deer, bald eagles, hawks. You see otter. You see so many animals out there that you can just enjoy that experience so much more. And again, where we go, you're not going to take a boat because it's going to be destroyed.
1: <laughs> so, so to me, it's kind of, you know, as we're talking about this, like I love riding four-wheeler around. Absolutely. Great. But you don't see... What you see on a four-wheeler when you're on a mountain bike or you're just going to hike, you know, and it's a very, I think, translates fairly well. Like, I love being in my boat, but I don't see what I see all the time is when I'm in my kayak. That's kind of what I keep hearing is that you are really enjoying these opportunities that you're getting. And it's, a, you know, the other side of it's no right or wrong in this. Like, if you have a boat, sure, that's cool. If you have a kayak, that's cool. You know, it's just a different technique. But what I'm hearing is that it's you're getting a connection that is maybe harder or different than if you're in a boat. And that keys right into my last fish that is crappie.
2: And this time of year, it's a great time to fish for them. And if you're in a boat, I see a lot of anglers going up to docks. You know, you're on a lake and there's a hundreds of docks and they're getting down really low to shoot their lure underneath or try to get the five men on the flip float under a dock and it's hard for them to do well that's the beauty of being so close to the water we paddle right up to the dock, and the dock's about eye level with us, so it's easy for us to throw You don't that.
1: have to lay on your belly? No, we do oh, not. Yes.
2: We do not. Mm. So, we're able to just flip it right under there. And Maybe get all... they are on something. <laughs> <laughs> There's a possibility. So, we catch a lot of those fish that, as a boat angler, they're extremely hard to access. So...
0: That would be the, the big four, as I like. I mean, you said it. the fish's name wrong, but we'll let that okay, slide. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's crappy, not crappy, But I that's, can't, that's, that's a whole nother. Okay, so okay. we'll okay. let it slide. We'll let it slide. All right,
1: I can do that. Thirty eight percent of our listeners knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> the other sixty two were like, he's wrong, right? <laughs> like, and
1: still knew what he was talking and about. Still knew what he was talking about. I that's completely right. understand. I have a cousin that calls him. Well. When I went to Alabama, when I was my time in Alabama, I had to switch because I couldn't carry on a conversation with anybody because they didn't know what I was talking about. So I get it. Look so. at you
0: got three heads. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So
1: if you, let's take time of year out of it. I know you, you say you chase the seasons, but let's just say you have a week off randomly. What is your favorite place to go? Like if you're just going to take your kayak, what's your favorite
0: location? favorite location without giving off a secret spot no i don't mind at all you can tell me your secret spot later okay but, oh, yeah. i've got to say it's not on the air
2: to catch all of those fish is moore mountain state park for me without a doubt it is the most underused location that i go to period you can go straight across from the ramp the boat ramp at moore mountain state park now i think last year the cabins were down. They wouldn't let you rent. And I think it was limited camping. But if you wanted to stay overnight, you can you know, access it whenever. But if you go straight across from the ramp, you can go straight across and go up the Uwari River. And that's a great hidden fishery right there. There's smallmouth in there. I didn't say that. Thank you for saying that, though, because my friends would kill me if I did. Smallmouth, Roanoke bass. Absolutely, and big Roanoke bass. Big Roanoke bass. And uh, the key, though, is you got to watch the rain because that muddies up quick. Mm -hmm. But you can go straight up there. If you go left, you can go up closer to the dam. But, again, follow all rules and restrictions up there. You can catch crappie. You can catch striper. You can catch big flathead, big blue catfish. There's a ton of catfish there. White bass. White bass, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, make sure you bring a pop-ar, and you can catch all of that right up there. You can float. and I it's, heard
1: it. He said pop-ar. He said pop-ar. I, did, I, I heard said,
2: it. I said pop-ar. Yeah. And, like, what we normally do is we have to, we run the shuttle. So, we put in there, and then we take out down, I don't know the name of that. If you float all the way down, Ooh. there's another takeout. It usually takes
0: us about six or seven hours. So uh, my brain's gone it dead. It goes
2: under that bridge. Yeah, I know where it's at. Look, everybody use Google Earth. That's how most fishing's done this nowadays. Is Lake
0: Tillery, by the way. Yeah, Lake Tillery. Lake how Tillery is beside Mar Mountain State Park, so mm-hmm. it's Lake Tillery on the Yadkin PD.
2: And I will give you one warning that a friend did not heed about five years ago. They do not play with closing that gate. So when they tell you to get off the water before whatever the time is, you get off the water or you will be sleeping in your car because they closed the gate. And I don't blame them. They got to go home too. And they told you. So uh, they're going to assume you're going to be out
0: there all night. And they're assuming correctly.
1: First rule, obey all rules. Obey all rules. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And what he's talking about is if you're up by the dam on, I guess that's Baden coming in, that's Baden water. coming That's correct. If you're up by the Baden dam on tillery, Or any dam, really. They open and close gates, which allows the flow to come down the river. When they close the gate, most of the time when you're up in that upper end of the watershed, it's going to make it high and dry. Basically, you're going to go from having water to not having water. Actually, that's not what I'm talking about. Are you talking about opening the gate? I'm talking about the gate to let you in and out of the park. Oh, the gate to let you in and out of (laughs) the park. I didn't go down that road. I didn't go down that road. That's, I was completely Probably wrong. your
2: listeners didn't either. Yes. Maybe that's what he thought too. Definitely, <laughs>
0: if they say they're going to close the gate, they definitely will lock the gate. But also, public service. Now, now, sure. now yeah. that we're there. Now that we're there. <laughs> Absolutely. If they have schedules on those gates on the dams and they open and close those gates, if you're in a boat, maybe not so much in a kayak, but in a boat, they will leave you high and dry if they close the gate. It's also and
1: important off. to know if you're fishing any tail race. Yep. From a safety standpoint, from a getting high and dry standpoint, but
0: also getting flooded out. Getting (laughs) flooded out, but also from a fishing, because
1: certain fish will turn on and turn off with that flood schedule, that release schedule. Well, I mean,
0: a really good example of that, and now we're in the weeds, but that's okay. That's what we do. Really good example of that is Lake Norman. You can be up in the river. If they're not running water, you can forget it. You might as well go to the house. You're not going to catch much at all. Typically, I was up there looking for hybrid striped bass. You weren't going to catch them at all. As soon as the water turns on, they start picking up, start biting. There are certain species, you're exactly right, Ben, there are certain species that really depend on that water for the bite. That's the same way they do at more Mountain. And
2: they do give you, from a kayak's perspective, again, always safety first. And they sound the alarm up there, pay attention, because the flow definitely increases.
1: Sure. So my favorite is, I grew up fishing the Roanoke River, up near Weldon, right? and Rye area. I spent my whole childhood wade fishing up there, you know, catching red-breast sunfish and largemouth bass and stripers and shad and all that. Well, when you're a kid and you're cutting through everybody's yard, nobody says anything. When you're a 40-year-old man, you don't necessarily have the same opportunities. You don't get that free age. pass right. anymore. Yeah. But well, you have the opportunity. Just The penalties are a little more serious. Exactly. So, in order to get back to my youth fishing, we'd have to do a float trip because those some of those, my childhood roots are not as open to me as they used to be. You don't look
0: like that eight-year-old kid anymore. No, I'm not near <laughs> as cute.
1: And so, yeah, they don't like a giant bald man walking through their yard. And the people that I grew up with probably don't live in some of those houses That's anymore. Right. So they don't even know who I am.
0: Things change. So
1: that's how I kind of get back to those youthful trips that I had is I'll do a float trip about once a year or so up there, and I really enjoy it. It kind of hits some of the same old spots that I grew up fishing, and it's a lot of fun. So, But you talked a minute ago about getting to places that are underutilized, and I think that's one of the main things. And Corey did some shows About the same thing. These smaller creeks that have limited access, that are weightable... But with deep holes in them occasionally. But,
0: but you made a really good point. They're weightable, but you might be trespassing to weight them. Right. But they're navigable, so you can float them, and that's fine, and that's where the kayak comes into exactly.
1: play. You could put in at a bridge or at overpass or something like yep. that. And get and, out at
0: the next bridge or whatever. And
1: have some great angling opportunities in areas that conventional boat fishermen and conventional bank fishermen just have no way to get to. And so, in any time that you can get to fish that fewer people have access to, it's normally pays off. It's a double edged sword, as it always is. More technology gives you
2: more information, more information gives you the opportunity to go and find places that you didn't know existed. If you were one of those people that are in all our age categories, those places we didn't want other people to go and know existed. So, there are a lot of, if you Google North Carolina, Kayak canoe access sites, you will get literally hundreds, and you can be very specific. This body of water, these locations between these two points with Google Earth, they'll allow you to say, okay, go down Dawson Road. And at the end of that, you've got two places to park, and then you're going about a six hour, six mile float. We figure about a mile an hour if you're fishing pretty seriously. And then you can take out at you know Wheeler Creek or whatever. So if you are thinking of an area like that that you wanted to access, that you couldn't access any other way, I would highly recommend Googling that type of information. And you normally can find somewhere that's a smaller creek, and especially now it is getting to be trout time. So there's a lot of areas that you can find those speckled trout that the boats normally don't go. So that's something to consider.
1: Let's talk for a minute. I mean, my kayak is kind of behind the times. I'm to be 100% honest. Mine is conventional. Is it a paddle? I have a paddle.
0: So yours is the Model A. I have, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's not a canoe. Gen 2. Gen 2. <laughs> I'm Gen 2. Gen 2. It's a seat, paddle. Yeah. Very traditional setup. Very old school. However, nowadays, you can have 14 rod holders, a live well, side scan, 5Target, cappuccino machine, cappuccino, blender, big screen TV. I mean, they got more gadgets than R2-D2 and Inspector Gadget put together on them. I agree with that. And some of them look like floating porcupines, but it's all very well thought out. And it is crazy how much stuff you can get into a 14-foot piece of plastic. Let's talk a little bit about those options, because to be honest, somebody wanting to get into kayak fishing is intimidating. There's a lot of things that you may perceive that you need. I mean, I'll tell you right now, all you really need is that paddle, a couple of beetle spins.
0: (laughs) You can literally go old
1: school. You can get by on Gen 2. Now, it's not my ride's probably not near as comfortable as Mark's, and that's a lot of it, too, because if you're going to sit in that seat all day long, it makes a difference. But talk to us a little bit about kind of maybe what a beginner versus your setup, you know, and how those are different, why they're different, why you've chosen the options that you've chosen, that kind of thing.
2: Well, again, I've been doing this a very, very long time. I don't want to say how long because it's really long. In the beginning, we had very Gen 1 my first depth finder was the transducer was duct tape to an old broomstick that we would literally stick over the side. And between paddle strokes...
1: And taking notes. I can tape a duct <laughs> transducer. Broomstick, broomstick. a broomstick. broomstick bin with uh, duct tape. Broomstick. Get broomsticks. I would
2: recommend a Swiffer handle now because it's already got that little L to it. But, Pro, tip. <laughs> Pro, tip. Pro, tip. Pro tip. Pro tip. Pro tip. And then somebody got real smart, and what we did was we took foam blocks it was like a foam packing block and we would set the transducer down on top of that block trace it out with a black sharpie cut that out with an exacto knife and then glue that into the hull of your kayak and before you went fishing you would pour a little water in there and then stick your transducer in there and it would shoot through the hull and we thought we were Elon Musk and had just launched SpaceX. Sounds more like MacGyver. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was nice. And then again the progression just like anything you get bigger, faster, stronger. And then once the market realized, hey, people are moving away from canoes into this kayak field. And so it was very quickly that we saw when you would go into paddle shops that the whitewater paddlers section was smaller and smaller and the kayak fishing section was larger and larger and the canoe kayak had one canoe in the back so the boats have progressed once people started doing tournaments and fishing tournaments they saw the obvious advantage to having pedal craft because that gave you hands-free and obviously the more casts you make odds are the more fish you're going to catch because if you're paddling you can't cast so that has now morphed into a lot of the kayak anglers who were on the tournament circuits have a trolling motor if what they're fishing in allows a trolling motor. So then it's taken away even the physicality of the traditional kayak. So kind of an interesting time we're going through. And with the front-facing sonar, the live scope, you can spend 10 dollars $12,000 if you want a super-duper if you want a, basically a bass boat and a kayak format. However, to actually fish out of a kayak, what I would recommend is due to COVID, we have a lot of people who bought kayaks three years ago that have used them three times and now found they've had to go back to work and the kayak's sitting in the garage. There's a lot of good used kayaks on the market that you can get for 1000 1200 $1, dollars more of a gen three type thing you can get a decent five inch fish finder depth finder on that and that would be an older pedal craft or you can find a older paddle craft that's even less than that so you can find the older boats that are still much more comfortable than the boats you used to have and i would recommend if you're looking to get into kayak fishing If you can't afford it and you want the the top-of-the-line Ferrari of the industry, go to your local paddle shop. Tell them you're looking for the the top-of-the-line Ferrari. You've probably done enough research on your own to know what you want. They'll let you demo those boats. I always recommend anybody who's going to get into something for the first time, say, hey, I want to demo X boat or Y boat. And they'll say, we're going to charge you $80 or $100 for the weekend. But if you buy the boat, we'll deduct that from the price of the purchase. And then you'll know whether this boat is comfortable for me. I enjoy this style of fishing. This doesn't hurt my hips. This doesn't hurt my back. Or it does. And then you demo another boat. You can get as advanced as you want or as basic as you want. I would always start out a little less advanced because you can always add. Once you've bought it, it's hard to resell it and get your money back out of it if you buy top of the line right off the bat. So it's really whatever the angler wants. And to me, that's the beauty of kayak fishing. You can still have a great kayak at a very nominal price and basically still be a lot cheaper than you're going to put in an engine and just the engine on the boats that are out there now So and have the versatility. So Ask your paddle shop to demo stuff. If you're going to buy a used kayak, make sure you meet that person on the water and paddle it because it is made out of plastic. So,
1: <laughs> so I like the, the suggestion to demo something, especially because some kayaks are more stable than others. Absolutely. One time I almost, and this is pre-Gen 1, I almost bought a wooden P-Row one time, which is like before the model. This is like, Circling the wagon. This is Wright Brothers. Yeah, Wright Brothers type stuff. I said, meet me at the boat ramp. I'd like to see it before I, you know, make sure it holds water. Got in the thing. It was so tippy that after about... 12 seconds. I was like, this is not for me. I'm too big of a boy to sit in a boat <laughs> this small. That was very smart. There's no way I'll ever be able to shoot a duck out of this thing.
0: It's a teeter-totter. I will, <laughs>
1: my life is more valuable than this p is. So 100%, give it a try. Because My kayak's fairly wide. I'm a big boy. I needed something that could handle me shifting my weight in it and all that stuff. Some kayaks are... Fairly narrow. Absolutely. And it definitely affects your speed, affects your range, affects a lot of those dynamics start to come into play. But to be honest, if it's not stable and if you don't feel comfortable in it, you're never going to use it to begin with.
2: Absolutely not. And what we say when I do seminars, what I always say is it's not a question of if you're eventually going to turtle, that's what we call it. If you're going to eventually turtle, you really are going to exit that kayak unintentionally at some point anyway. So you might as well, in the beginning, assume at some point I'm going to get wet accidentally. So make sure you have your PFD on at all times and it fits you properly, which is, again, good if you're going to buy a boat and you go to a paddle shop. I would recommend if you already have a PFD, you should, that you wear it when you demo the boat, your kayak and your PFD should fit you comfortably. A lot of different boats. There's a lot of different style boats nowadays. We have river boats. We have lake boats, more design, more backwater But The technology has quickly made a very specific boat for a very specific use in a way. So your the way the seat position is, the thickness of the seat can affect how your PFD fits that seat. And if your PFD is not comfortable, most people... Don't wear the PFD if it's not comfortable. So make sure your PFD works comfortably for you in that boat. So demo all those together. Make sure you're comfortable and make sure that you know how in warm weather with a friend, go out in a shallow area and practice getting in and out of your boat. That's very important. Very important because safety is number one. And inevitably, you will exit it. So, you might as well practice getting back in before you have to do it for real. So,
0: you went to safety. So, I, I think that's an important topic. I want to get on this turtle thing.
1: Turtle? <laughs> yeah, turtle. He said, eventually you will turtle. <laughs> yes. I've <laughs> never heard turtle used as a verb. Oh, and I want to talk about that for a minute. <laughs> All right.
0: I think, it I, mean, I think that means flipped over.
1: That, that's absolutely correct. I just want
0: to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> everybody, oh, okay. Yep. Sorry. Yes. That's a
1: little... Excellent. There you go. So, so yeah. street term for turning over. <laughs> it's turtle. Turtle. Yeah. I've done that. You've turtled. I've turtled.
0: We all have. I've turtled and lost everything. I'm gonna tell poor, y'all poor planning. But Martha, anyway.
1: <laughs> this is a public service announcement about <laughs> yes. turtling. Yes. I've turtled myself and when I turtled, my life jacket was not adjusted properly. When it inflated, <laughs> it wrapped around my face. <laughs> Octopus of life. (laughs) In fast-flowing water. I mean, it was like a disaster gone even more disastrous. And I can tell you, not kidding, that I almost was not here because of that event. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about safety for a minute, but I'm going to tell you, it only takes, especially if you're in fast-flowing water, but really any water, it only takes a half a second for things to just, your whole life to change. And so it may seem silly to you. In the moment that I needed to have all this gear, it's a small price to pay. And life jackets have gotten so much more comfortable than they used to be. It is a small thing to do. And, you know, we want to see you guys. We want you to send us more emails. That's
0: right. Your life is a whole lot more important than than ignoring something. So make sure that you're
1: doing everything you can to be safe. Because we're also talking about going places where there's not many people. And so there may not be somebody to be able to help you out. So you need to make sure you're set up. To get yourself out of a pickle when you turtle. Yes, yes.
2: And not to frighten anyone, but you have to be aware of what you're doing, and it's inevitable. So you might as well prepare for it.
1: Right, right. So now that we're talking say to you, I mean, everybody, I think PFD, I mean, one, it's the law, blue light special. Yes. So you have to wear your PFD. You have to have one with you. Correct. You should wear it. What other gears do we need to maintain, you know, safety while we're out there? Well, for
2: me, like I always say to people is if you, all my kayaks, all of them are as bright as they possibly can be. They're all mango, orange, or yellow. The only one that's not is a first generation native 16, and it only came in trash can green. And that is the most durable kayak I've ever seen. They didn't make it in any other color. So all my kayaks are bright. I want myself and everyone else out there to see me as well as possible because, again, some mornings are foggy, some mornings are rainy, some evenings are foggy. My main concern on the water is getting hit by a boat. That's my main concern, and those guys get up on, you know, trying to get up on plane. Obviously, they're not doing it on purpose, but if you're coming in and you've got the sun behind you and you're in a boat and you're up 8 or 10 feet, it's hard to see sometimes. So I recommend... Always keep your PFD on. doesn't help you tucked in the back of the kayak. It does not. As bright a kayak as you can, unless you're duck hunting or something out of it and want a camo one. That's my preference. Number two, you need a white light. You need a 360-degree white light. I'd take mine, and I keep it in the boat all the time. I have a traditional white light that's battery-powered, and I also have a, what's called a, a Lucy light. It's solar-powered. So when I forget to change my batteries out of my white light and the salt water is corroded and I reach back there to turn it on, it doesn't come on, I got a backup light. So white light, because if you're launching early in the morning or you're out there at night catfishing, if they can't see you, that's on you. I mean, you have to have a white light. That's the biggest rule out there for me. It's PFD, bright color, white light, and go with somebody. Kayak fishing is great but it's even better if you have a friend with you because, again, strange things happen out there. It's always better to have someone with you. And trust me, with the technology that we have today, it's easy to reach out and find somebody that wants to go kayak fishing. They may not be able to go at the exact time, but you guys can come
0: together and and arrange a time where both of you on the water together. And even if you say you can't get somebody to go with you, You know, one of the things we do as employees of the Wildlife Commission is that when we're on the water, and I advise this for boaters as well, is we file float plans. We tell somebody, hey, we're going at this boat ramp. We plan to be off, you know, roughly this amount of time. If you haven't heard from me or, you know, hadn't seen me or something, how about you give me a call and see if I'm, you know. Still breathing. Absolutely. And and of water. You know,
1: I should be off the water. Yeah. I'll be giving you a fishing report right. yeah. around this time. And if
0: I'm not, then
1: don't kid around. Yeah.
0: Don't kid around. Make a phone call to me. If you can't get it with me, call 911 to get somebody to the boat ramp to come find me. And with the technology today, even if somebody comes and you're standing there at the boat ramp because right. your phone didn't work, it's okay. That's
2: part of it. I keep an earpiece in so I can listen to podcasts like you guys while I'm on the water. And that way I keep my phone in a dry box that I have clipped into my kayak so I can always use the phone. Or I have it tucked into my PFD and I have it in a case, a dry case, so that I know I can access my phone. My wife uh, has that, what's it called, 360 or whatever it is. Life 360. Yeah, so she can always find me, which is probably a good thing.
1: It builds trust. It's interesting. It does.
0: And Switch to a marriage podcast for a minute. It's not anything about trust because no. it's
2: not trusting you. But <laughs> actually, what's trust. amazing is like if I'm near a Chick Fil A, or somehow she set it for an alert. Apparently, because I get a hey, I see you next. It's like, like a
1: shallow water alarm on that <laughs> right. phone. So,
2: and you can I smell chicken. <laughs> so she can find me. I also have it with a couple of my friends, and I always let. Depending on where I'm at, either Ed or Andrew, whether I'm at the coast or here, hey, I'm going here, I'm going there. Luckily, I have a friend, Phil, who's on the fire water rescue team. That's a good friend to have. <laughs> that that is is a good, good friend, team. professional <laughs> rescue. Right. So nowadays, you really, it wasn't like the
0: olden days when the tide ran out and you just got stuck. Well, you know, I have a story about safety in kayaks, and I think. What you're saying is very, it's important for boaters and it's important for kayakers. But, so I was working at, in District 5 at the time, and me and another biologist were on a boat. We were going out, and I believe we were going out either trap netting or gill netting for a different species, and it was very foggy. I mean, it was a very, very foggy morning. And we were coming out of the, if anybody knows Jordan Lake, we were coming out of the Fourth boat ramp going out into the main body of the water. Right. And I was not going fast at all. I probably, I wasn't even on plane. You know, I was just trudging along because I couldn't really see, and I was taking my time, and it was pretty dense fog. And all of a sudden, dead in front of me, and I'm in the middle of the lake, all of a sudden, dead in front of me is a guy kayak fishing. Scared me to death. I'm sure he was scared, too. (laughs) He may have been, but I could not see him. He couldn't see me either, probably, for that matter, but I could not see him. He was so low profile, I could not see him until I was right up on him. If I had been on plane, not even going wide open, if I had been on plane, I'd have hit that man that day. And in my brain, I thought, okay, one, I need to slow down even more in my boat. But two, as a kayak angler, I'm not sure the middle of a lake in fog is the place to be. Do you remember what color the boat was? I don't. I don't. It literally scared me to death that day. That's been that's been 15 years ago. A fluorescent shirt is like five dollars.
1: Right? Yeah. If you have a green boat, like you said, I have a brown boat. But if if you want to be visible, you can be visible relatively cheap.
0: He had a flag, but he had no light. That's what I remember. He had a red flag up, but he had no light. And, you know, it's resonated me today that. The message is know the conditions you're fishing in, know where you are, and know that whatever craft you're in, whether it be kayak or boat or whatever, you got to be safe when you're on the water. Anyway, I think sure, I beat no, that horse, but I, I just want people to be safe.
1: The only other safety thing I'd like to bring up, especially for folks in the wintertime, is you rarely ever stay dry 100% in a kayak. So you need to dress accordingly and either wear waders or wear good rain gear, because if you get cold, and it's cold, we don't have really that cold of winters, but we still run the risk of hypothermia, especially if you get wet, and especially if you're on a float trip where you're not near your vehicle at all. So make sure you're doing everything you can to stay dry as well. And I, I know Mark does. I've seen it set up in the wintertime. And I
0: would say, like, especially if you're, well, probably just in general, but... If you're going to do something like that in the wintertime, I even do this on my boat because I don't know when I'm going to fall out of my boat. Particularly in the wintertime, I always carry an extra set of clothes with me because the best thing you can ever do is get out, get dry, and get in drier clothes. Don't wear those wet clothes all day long. Yeah, I mean, you as and a you never know when
1: you need a wardrobe change, just midday, just to change your look. Could need a photo shoot. Right.
0: I was wearing green. Might want to wear blue. Anyway. Well, I will say this.
2: We try to avoid waders, just for, unless it's neoprene. But what most of us do in the winter, we'll either go to a dry suit or I have some really nice waiter pants that are just the pants that have a nice tight belt. That way your feet stay dry because if anything's normally going to get wet, it's going to be your feet when you're getting in and out. And talking about the, I have a dry bag and I've already told the lady I'm going with tomorrow, make sure you bring a change of clothes and a towel and I'll throw them. I've got a spare dry bag. We'll throw them in yours. and that way. If should anybody get wet, you know, it's five hours from where we start to where we yeah. finish. Yeah. That is a cold <laughs> that is a day. a cold day. <laughs> a so we get on a rock and dry off, and then we get back in there. So absolutely, if you're going in the winter, please plan to get wet.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you plan on being wet. And you're not, you just bring your stuff home and put yeah, it back in the drawer. Yeah, worst case scenario, you got clean clothes for tomorrow already on deck. Exactly. So. Mark, do you have anything for us that you want to talk about? Absolutely.
2: I have two questions from my members. Here it comes. It is number one, we are as anglers a lot of times, and this is what I love about your podcast. You give us the opportunity to talk to people that we normally don't know how to get in touch with, but through your website and through this podcast, we're learning. We hear a lot of different stories about what you can do and what you can't do, and things change often, so it's always hard to find someone that you can actually say, well, Ben
1: said or Corey said, because that's exactly what we're going to do. It also doesn't matter what we say. It only matters what the law says. <laughs> well, we're
2: hoping that you're a little up more up on it. So, it As someone who flathead catfishes, I have heard story after story about what we can do and what we can't do for bait. I know, I think, I shouldn't say I know, to the best of my knowledge, you can't throw a cast net and catch the brim. So you have to catch the brim if you're using brim on a hook and line. So if we catch brim at, say, a farm pond, can we take that brim, put it in a tank, carry it to the Atkin River and go
1: flathead fishing with it? So bluegills or brim, you know, when we went with Tyler, we used the shellcracker much to Corey's chagrin.
0: It was big enough to eat. That was my only chagrin as I thought we should be frying it. Right. He's
1: like, why are we cutting this up? We could eat <laughs> We're this.
0: feeding this to a flathead, and they could right. be feeding Sorry. me right now.
1: Because they're sport fish, you can't cast net them up, which is what you said. You can catch them hook and line, and you can use them for bait. And you can take them somewhere else and use them for bait. The one thing that we'll suggest, and we say this all the time, is you can use them for bait, but at the end of the day you need to be careful about where you dump your live whale because you may have something in that live whale that's not native to that area. And so what we would ask is that you don't just dump your bait at the end of the day. You take it home, you put it in, you know, you take it back to where you got it from, whatever, but don't turn those fish loose. And we say this over and over again. We have awesome fisheries in North Carolina moving fish around. And moving sometimes exotic fish around is going to compromise some of our awesome fisheries over time. Corey, you got anything to add
0: to that? No, I mean, we do get this question a lot, Mark. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm 100% by what Ben said is people often think that a bass is a bass is a bass, right? A bass in Lake Norman is a bass in Lake Jordan. That's just not true. Even if they're the same species. Even if it's a largemouth in Lake Norman and a largemouth at Jordan, that's still not true because you don't know what hitchhiker is on that bass. You don't know what hitchhiker is in that water, and so there's a lot of things that you can't visibly see with the naked eye that could potentially be in that water. And so that's what what Ben's talking about is we're running more and more into what we call aquatic nuisance species, basically animals that don't belong there that were brought here by someone. Most likely unintentionally, you know, it was not brought here intentionally. So just be careful. We want you to go out, have a good time, catch brim to go catch catfish. We had a blast doing it. Sure. Would do that again. Would do that tomorrow if somebody invited me. Anybody. Anybody out there. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean. It's just about being cognizant of what you're doing. And so we have that message on our website of clean, drain, dry, never move. And that's all about not moving an organism from one body of water to the other. So it's actually, you're not supposed to dump your live well out like your bait well at the end of the day. Like you're talking about like if we go purchase three dozen crappie minnows. Yep, yeah, if you go purchase three dozen minnows, you're not supposed to dump that into the water.
1: And crappie minnows is almost one of the best examples of why you shouldn't, because most of those minnows come from a farm somewhere else.
0: More than likely Arkansas.
1: More than likely Arkansas, but somewhere <laughs> yeah, else. yeah. There are fish in Arkansas that are not native to here at all, you know, and sometimes they get mixed in and they have exotic species in Arkansas that we don't want here and that kind of thing. And so it's a fairly harmless intention that could potentially create huge harm to our resources, you know, and push, push a fish. Like you wouldn't think that turning a bunch of crappy minnows loose would make a bit of difference, but it, very well could be a significant difference. And it
0: might not be the crappy menace. It might be something that's just in the water with the crappy menace that you can't that's identify. That's a very good tip. Here's a really good example. It has not happened in North Carolina, but has happened in other places. If you look at invasive carp in the Midwest, so you're looking at big heads and silvers, and there's probably some other species that are not coming to mind right now. When they're very small, so when they are like two inches, they look a lot like a gizzard or a threadfin shad. They look a lot like it. So, for example, if you went out and cast netted in East Tennessee right now and caught what you thought was a 100 threadfin or a 100 gizzard shad, the likelihood that one of those might not be that and might be something, or two of those might not be that but might be one of those carp, it's actually pretty doggone good. And then you decide, okay, I caught those in East Tennessee, and I'm going to bring that back to the Catawba River Basin. And at the end of the day, I fished with thread fins all day long, you know, whatever. At the end of the day, I'm going to dump those fish over in the lake because I just want to get rid of them. Well, then I've just done what I didn't want to do. So that's really the take-home. And that happens... That's how we get a lot of unintentional, I mean, there's a lot of intentional releases. You know, there's been people that have moved a lot of fish around for sure, but we get a lot of unintentional, unintended consequences from people just, they don't think about it. It can be very harmful.
1: But yes, you can take a beetle's band. We went,
0: we went way down <laughs> the road. Okay. Put Sorry. it on a big hook.
1: You catch a flathead with it. That's oh, yeah. not a problem. All right.
0: And you can do that from one body of water to the other.
1: Yeah. And what you do with that after that, though, with that excess bait, is really us trying to encourage folks to be conscientious about it. we got to be good stewards. We have yet, to my knowledge, especially with a fish species that's invasive, figure out how to get rid of one.
0: Nope. Once the cat's side of the bag. well, I mean, if you look at, and these are fish species that you have just talked about that you enjoy fishing for.
1: Flatheads,
0: flatheads, blue cats, Alabama bass, and there's a plethora of others that, I mean, white perch, which are native to our state, have been, I mean, white perch is a really good example because that was a bait fish. Herrings, mainly for striped bass fishermen and cat fishermen, those two species of animals, and they have swept west across the state and have done irreparable damage to fisheries across the state that we will never get back. I mean, People want to know why my fish don't get as big as they once did. It's because you got five bazillion white perch in your lake eating every little thing that grows.
1: Fish need water. Yep. Don't move fish around.
0: That's our message. We probably could just call the podcast a wrap for the rest of the world and <laughs> be done with it. <laughs> oh, no.
2: I have my last question, and a lot of my members want to know this, and you are the two guys to answer this question. That's so <laughs> as someone who catfishes at night in certain areas that, this creature may or may not have been seen. Have you guys ever encountered or know of anyone that has heard of, documented, and a you know? And again, this is your job. So if you don't feel comfortable answering this question, have you ever ran into or heard anyone who a large bipedal
1: animal with big feet? Cut. We can't talk about that. <laughs> the Illuminati will hear us.
0: <laughs> the Illuminati. So, he's asking about reclusive forest primates. So, he's talking about Sasquatch. Yes. He's sitting right beside him. I mean, I'm here. If you don't believe me, ask some of my fishing friends. That's what they call me. So, i just, just asking. I, the members want to know. No. Yeah, the public needs this. public needs this. I, we've gone off the reservation. I'm just asking.
1: I have never seen any evidence to such, is what I can say.
0: He's smiling and winking. I see it in the mirror every day when I get up, but other than that, okay. I haven't seen it in a while. Well, thank you for your honesty. That was a great question. I mean, by the
1: way. I had a discussion with somebody not too long about it, and he said, he's like hey, he was a big Bigfoot believer, which is great. You know, you gotta believe in something. <laughs> might as well be Bigfoot, I guess. I, I go a different direction, but that's for a different podcast.
0: They prefer Sasquatch. Sorry, you gotta be PC. He might be little footed and he'd right. just be
1: Sasquatch. Yes, yeah, Sasquatch. We'll go with that. Okay, so he said, "Ben, it's only a matter of time." And the only thing I had to respond with, "It's been quite a while." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much more time we need to look for them. I guess is where I'm going with
0: that. He's on the Jack Links commercial, so I don't know why everybody's right. seen him. Yeah,
1: yeah. He, that's not. Yeah, he's somewhere on a mountain eating beef
0: jerky. He's eating beef jerky somewhere. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, so, appreciate you bringing that question to the table. Have we covered
1: that one sufficiently for you and your club?
0: I'm just not feeling the
1: honesty. What we'll really have to do is we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to pull one of our wildlifers <laughs> <our laughs> in on this. Because I'm a fish biologist. Yeah, I really... Yeah, this is a
0: terrestrial animal. It's a bit
1: out of my depth. It is. Yeah. So, okay. Wow. We'll go on a deep dive.
0: Can we get to angler questions now so we can get over this? First question,
1: <laughs> angler question. Is there Bigfoot? (laughs) (laughs) Sasquatch. Wow. Sasquatch. Sorry, I'm just not doing good on this one. So, as you guys know, we get angler questions. We get lots of angler questions, and it's great, and we love talking with you guys. We love helping you out. We love putting you in touch with people who know more about your subject matter than we do. Hopefully
0: you're getting to know them. That's the whole point right.
1: of this. I mean, that's the whole point is to build these relationships and get it out there. And we've got another year under our belt, and it's great. And Mark is one of our first fans. I mean, I met Mark a long time ago at a CCA fishing school, but when the podcast came out, he was one of the first to say, this is great. And that's why I thought when we do the kayak, one, we'll get Mark on here. And after
0: the Sasquatch question, I'm questioning why? But anyway, continue on. Go ahead. Right. Well, we'll get them back again to maybe <laughs> illuminate this Bigfoot situation. Maybe
2: a live show.
0: Yeah, that's what we need.
1: So, we get a lot of pond questions, a lot of pond questions, a lot of people, a lot going on in their pond, a lot of stuff. This year was particularly dry, which normally yields algae problems. And we've gotten more than a handful of emails about folks asking us about blue greens, filamentous, topped-out algae, that kind of thing. And uh, Mr. Fulton emailed us, and he set the scene for this local pond that he had, fertilizer runoff. There's geese in the pond, geese and blue-green algae. I don't know what it is. I don't know if blue-green algae soaks into their feathers or what, but it seems like if you have geese, you will have blue-green algae at some level. He asked about that. He sent me a picture of the pond topped out green and he says how does that affect the fishing and it really can affect the fishing especially you know my pond for several years and it's the reason why i quit fertilizing i think I'm gonna start back next year but had microcystis which is a blue green algae it would be green as a gourd in the morning and brown in the afternoon like it ran its cycle so fast in a 12-hour period it would bloom up and then die and go away And the problem you have is sometimes when that happens, it can bloom up and die. And then as it starts to rot, it can cause low oxygen. And Corey and I and Mark, I'm assuming, eats a lot or at some regular intervals. You and I eat more than
0: Mark based on what I see, but, you know, whatever.
1: There's evidence to support that. So, you know, earlier today when Corey and I were eating lunch, we were breathing just fine during that. And if you can't breathe... You're a lot less hungry. Is what I have found, and it's the same as true for the fish. So, if the water chemistry gets off because of an algal bloom, it can affect the bite of the fish. Not to mention, if you're used to that pond being crystal clear and it goes green on you, you got to learn a whole new set of tricks. Is the other thing. So it may be that the fish are biting as good, or maybe even better, but you're doing it wrong. Yeah, what happened, you know, in your angling is not the same. So. There's all different varieties and scenarios that can affect that, and and so it's hard to want. But, yeah, the short answer to that is absolutely an algal bloom can definitely affect your fishing. And,
0: and the bottom line is you want algal blooms, you just don't want massive algal blooms right i mean there's a balance to everything in pond management
1: algae is a great thing to have in your pond zooplankton eat the algae little fish eat the zooplankton big fish eat the little fish i eat the big fish it's
0: the basis of the food web right yeah
1: so it's definitely part of it it's just anytime any one of those things gets off kilter it can cause problems that's right but yeah that's a great question it's definitely something we've had the next question we have is about orange lake in orange county Oh, wow. Okay. Corey's been by there probably. <laughs> he says, Are the fish safe to eat there? And I looked it up. Oh, it's good of you. There are no consumption advisories for that area, for the Eno River, aside from the statewide ones, which are mercury. Yeah. But I want to use this as an opportunity to just say if you're concerned about consuming fish, just type, go to the Googles, type in. North Carolina Fish Consumption Advisories. The very first link that cops up will be, or it may be the second, I don't know, but I'm assuming the very first link will be the Department of Health and Human Services, and you can look up the recommendations for your area, for your system, you know, what fish to eat, what fish not to eat.
0: How much you can have a day. One meal a
1: month, two meals a month, whatever it is. Yeah. And our advice is to, you know, listen to our health officials. And follow those recommendations.
0: I would also say that just knowing about Orange Lake and where it's at, it's really high up in the watershed. In fact, it's almost at the very upper end of the Noose Basin watershed. So the likelihood of contaminants being in that watershed, in that part of the watershed, is a lot less. So, yeah, that would be my take home there
1: with Orange Lake. Yeah. Always follow the recommended guide. Yeah, it's
0: on the very upper end of the eastern prong of the Eno River, eastern fork of the Eno River. Okay. Right next door to my house, by the way, whoever's fishing that high, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> the next guy, Mr. Two, he sent me an email, and he says the Roanoke River bass fishery is one of his favorites in the state. For good reason. It's kindred spirit here. Kindred spirits. You know, I love Gaston.
0: I think people just send these things in, these comments and questions that stroke your ego. I mean, I I don't know.
1: Maybe I'm just picking the ones that resonate uh, with me. That's probably Maybe it. that's yeah. it. You're, You're a know. little
0: biased towards the Roanoke. That's okay. Yeah, I grew up fishing the Roanoke, as I said earlier. I'm biased towards the noose, so I grew up doing that, so it's good. Yeah.
1: Gaston's a monster. So grab his Lake. Even the river itself. The upper end of the river. Starting Williamston down is pretty strong, too. So there's right. good bass fishing to good be had in that whole down area. Down yep. But he's not a tournament fisherman, but he's seeing these tournaments, and he's seeing how far some of these guys are running in bass boats. And, you know,
0: It's a lot of paddles in a kayak. That's I'm sure right. right.
1: You know, 60 miles is a long way to go. It's more than a day trip. <laughs> that's right. And his question was, you know, these guys are making these big runs, they're catching fish, they're going to a weigh-in, and they're turning those fish loose. And we get this question a lot. What happens to these fish? It just so happens... That one of the bald biologists Da-da-da. got his master's degree studying this exact phenomenon.
0: Another reason why the question was picked. Oh, my <laughs> word. <laughs> Putting him on a pedestal again. Here we go. Oh, Maybe King you ben. need to start
1: picking a few questions. <laughs> right. It was a slow question month. Maybe. Uh-huh. Who knows? Nice. But we do get this question a lot we from our, from our yeah. bass fishermen. They wonder, like, hey, I moved this fish. I like fishing this spot. If we keep taking bass away from this spot, what are the long-term impacts? And from a population standpoint, the impact is nominal. There's going to be another bass that finds that. If it's a place that's bassy, it's going to have bass. Bass, for the most part, are going to find an area, once they're released, they're going to find it, and hopefully they live through the tournament process because when water temperatures are high, Things do not go well for those fish. But assuming they live through the tournament process, they're going to find an area that suits them, and they're going to establish a new home range. If it's relatively close to where they were caught, let's say within six to eight miles or so, they could possibly find their home range. And there's a few studies that have said that fish went back to their home ranges or went back to where they were caught. But the ones that I'm familiar with, and if I'm wrong, somebody email me and tell me, the ones that I'm familiar with where they went back to their home ranges were also associated with salt wedges that kind of steered those fish in one direction or another. So, you know, if you're down at the coast and you're in New Bern and you caught a fish in Spring Garden and there's a salt wedge in New Bern, it's very likely that just the chemistry of the water would push that fish back up towards Spring Garden somewhere. Those are some of the phenomenons that we've seen. But for the most part, they're just going to establish a new place that works for them. There would be no need for a fish to swim 60 miles when they've got bluegills, threadfin shads. They've got all the same things they were eating there. I mean, why would they go?
0: So They don't have any, at least to our knowledge, they don't really have something that's innate in them in largemouth that says, I got to go back where I was at. Basically, it's not like anadromous fish that come back to their natal rivers and spawn in the spring of the year. It's none of that that's going on. It's a totally different natural process. So yeah,
1: I would say the further they're displaced, the less likely it is. I would agree. I'll also say that, especially in a very closed-off tournament weigh-in situation, you may not want to run very far right out of the gate. Fish the docks around the tournament. Start freaking out. It's like, they can drive their boat anywhere. My kayak's only going (laughs) to go so far. That's where I fish. Send them away. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's (laughs) if you're at a high tournament site, there's going to be a higher concentration of bass in an area where there's a tournament every other weekend or every weekend. So, you know, pro tip. Pro tip. Don't run too far from a tournament weigh-in site. Until they're not there, and then you can
0: run as far as you want. Right. Unless you're in a kayak. That's right.
1: But no, this has been great. Really appreciate Mark and his expertise. A lot of
0: great information today.
1: I think the coolest thing about it is that, yes, the sky's the limit on what you can spend, but you can spend a relatively small amount and have a fishing vessel that gives you a lot more opportunities. And I think that's the main thing is that there's a new, you know, avenues to take and not everybody can get, you know, I cannot get, let me just, I cannot get $150,000 bass boat unless my supervisor changes my salary significantly. <laughs> it's not happening. Sorry. Okay. Well, just putting that out there. Nice plug. <laughs> you got to try. Sure. As not, you will get not. <laughs> so, but a kayak is for, you know, a lot of folks is a very attainable situation and so it gives you a lot of opportunity it gives you access to places that you wouldn't be able to get to normally even with a boat
0: and as as he said it's very versatile you can do it from the new river in the northwest corner of the state to southport in wilmington that's, to right. Just the
1: ocean, so. that's right there's not a piece of water well depending on the weather <clears throat> there's not a piece of water that you can't get used that's with a right. kayak most yeah. of the time and that's cool
0: thanks mark for being here we appreciate it so much and thank you guys for having me enjoy the show great thanks <laughs> Thank you for listening to
1: the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's podcast, Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists. For more information, please visit ncwildlife.org or email us at twobaldbiologists at ncwildlife.org.